welcome to my kitchen. My name is Tepan Murisana. I hold a WACT Level 2 certificate, an advanced brandy certificate from the Cape Wine Academy. In 2016, I was awarded the Veritas Young Wine Writer of the Year Award. I've written for many, many publications and edited one or two in my time. I hold an interest in many topics and many things, including construction, if you can imagine. So I hope that you'll be able to pull up a seat, come into my kitchen and enjoy endless hours of not only food and wine, but many of the other delectable topics that keep us engaged. We look forward to hosting you soon. And My Kitchen is brought to you by My Kitchen Company SA. My Kitchen Company is a Johannesburg-based kitchen, bathroom, furniture and renovation business. They bring you everything in the kitchen sink. Visit them on Twitter at MyKitchenCoSA for more information. Welcome back to My Kitchen. In this week's episode, as we do every episode, I will bring the wine. And then we're going to make a pop where we speak about a book or show or film, a pop of pop culture. And finally, the dish where we speak about something or someone delectable who's making our world a sweeter place. This week's episode of I'll Bring the Wine focuses on red wine blends. I recently had the opportunity of being one of the first people to taste an extraordinary red wine blend. I was at a tasting in Johannesburg, hosted by Joseph Dafana, and he was kind enough to grant me a brief interview, which I will share with you shortly. I'm sure many of you will be inspired by Joseph's story, and so I wanted to share a small part of it before I take you through the tasting and share the interview. Joseph Stefana arrived in South Africa as an asylum seeker in 2009. As an economic refugee from Zimbabwe, his story is extraordinary. What he's achieved over the past decade not only inspires hope and faith, but also reveals an incredible amount of tenacity and resilience. Joseph says that in 2014, he started making his own wine with the help of Chris Malinu, Roger Clayton and Evan Saadi and shortly thereafter moved to La Colombe where he became the head sommelier. But before that, Joseph came to Cape Town as a gardener, worked his way up through the wine industry by becoming a waiter, then a wine waiter. So his journey to becoming a sommelier is incredible and extraordinary. Alongside his extraordinary achievements, are just the brevity of the years in which he achieved all of this. In 2015, he had the opportunity to take part in the wine judging program hosted by renowned wine writer and aficionado Michael Fridgen. And thereafter, he took part in the World, wine, World Blind Wine Tasting Championships representing Team South Africa, as well as a board member of the South African Sommelier Association, a founding member of the Black Cellar Club, as well as achieving his WSET Level 3 and SASA Level 2. Shortly thereafter, Joseph was part of the team that founded the first team, Zimbabwe, that represented their country at the World wine Blind Wine Tasting Championships. In addition, in 2019, Joseph was awarded the Eat Out Wine Service Award. It gives me great pleasure to share with you the short conversation that we had together in Johannesburg. Please enjoy. Hi, Joseph. Hey, Tippi. How are you doing? Good. 
So we just had an awesome tasting here in Dunkeld in Johannesburg. Um, so the first question I have was, what was the airport like? What was the, what was the traveling experience during COVID like? Oh, it was a bit sad because the airport wasn't that busy. I'm used to, to really see the airport really being super busy, but then mm. from Cape Town to Job, it was kind of like empty in a way. Mm. Yeah. So in COVID in general, I know during the, t the tasting I asked this, you this and it might um, be a bit different now, but in COVID in general, I can imagine that your work, because in real life you're a sommelier, so in, in your work life might have been a bit different compared to other years. So what was the 2020 year like compared to the, the years prior? Dead, because 2020, there was a time when I couldn't even go to work for a couple of months, if not 10 months. Wow. Then when we reopened, we actually opened the restaurants with no alcohol at first, so which wow. means we had to to look for non-alcoholic pairing and cocktail to complement the dishes. Okay, but like, but what did that mean for you as a sum? How did you choose the non-alcoholic pairing? It was good because it made me really think out of the box, okay. and uh, non-alcohol stuff is something which I've been actually not not really uh i was not good in that but now after covid i mean i'm actually better i think i'm actually better now in terms of making non-alcoholic cocktails so what did a typical non-alcoholic pairing be it would be like soda water <laughs> what did you pick so there are so many you can actually even make non-alcoholic um, negroni non-alcoholic mojito non like so many oh, things okay. which you which you actually which you can do with um well even there's non-alcoholic gin so you can yes. actually non-alcoholic uh uh, or cocktail with with gin inside. So yeah. And so I mean, you spoke about it, or you alluded to it earlier. What was the journey to becoming a som like for you? It's it really has been incredible, but um, yeah, it was more of like a roller coaster, ups and downs. Definitely. I mean, it wasn't the smoothest the smoothest road. Because I remember that's when um, when I started really start wine here in South Africa, like ten years ago. Black sommeliers on the floor were not that much, mm. and we were the kind of like trailblazers and pioneers of like from black side or black people's side to get into uh, sommeliership or sommeliers. So it was a little bit difficult seeing that you get into a room full of uh, only white fellas, then mm. it, it, you feel out of place in a way, but then we, we, we kept on grinding. But you personally, so you spoke about being a gardener in 2014, but what's the whole story? So when I moved to South Africa, I was I was I came I was a refugee when I came to South Africa. Then from Zimbabwe. From Zimbabwe, yes. Then I stayed in Jordan. What's what's that your town in Zimbabwe? Uh, Guero. It's been okay. called Guero back then. Okay. It's Guero. So I my experience in Jobek was in, that is in 20, 2009, I mm. slept in the streets of Johannesburg. Then I went down to Cape Town. I was a gardener for almost a, t a year or two. Then of course Where were you gardening? Uh two different properties. Uh, Sue Pew and Charlotte Van Dogen. Then I worked for Baba Blackship Restaurant in the garden as well. Mm. Then they promoted me to watch the dishes, barman, same restaurant, waiter, same restaurant. Then I started studying wine. And uh, then from there, I made my maiden vintage 2014, both mm. uh, Syrah and Sherry Blanc. And uh, oh, the rest is history. I mean, mm. and, uh, people don't know it's all there. Uh, and, um, <laughs> okay. In 2015, that's when I became third best wine taster in South Africa. Then mm. I went to the World Cup, France, representing South Africa in the World Blind Tasting Championships. 15 again, that's when I passed that Michael Fridgen wine judging course. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of like a qualified wine judge. 17, 
founded Team Zimbabwe, then he went to the World Cup as a captain, 18, I went to the World Cup again as a captain, 2019, crowned it out Sommelier's Service Award winner. Okay, so my first question is, where in Joburg were you sleeping? Oof, where is Methodist Church from here? Because I was actually oh, close to that Methodist oh. Church, like in the Wall Street, I don't know, I can't even remember now. Yeah. It's so historic, especially with the Fees Must Fall protests. Yeah. Okay, so you were, you moved there. Do you get emotional when you look back or is it to you like, okay, I'm here now and this is where I need to focus? Yeah, for sure. It's, it's like someone is really refreshing the wound which was about to heal because if I look back into that, I, I become so emotional because the, 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 that, that time everything was normal. But if I look at it now, mm. it was, it's sad really to think that some people out there, if they, they call that as normal life sleeping mm. in the streets and they've been doing that for years mm. i only did that for two weeks and i couldn't take it anymore <laughs> you know? i'm not laughing at you i'm laughing at your that was really funny said so you could only do it for two weeks yeah. so it's also really incredible i don't know how uh, maybe i'm closing a circle but um so 2014 you were gardening and now you're making wine it's still an agricultural thing yeah um do you still garden uh, yes, I've got a small little garden at home right now. Oh, that's good. What are you garden? I've got uh, spinach, spring onion, okay. I've got uh, kale as well. Okay. And chilies. So you're very busy. You're doing the kale, the chilies. I, you have a full-time job. You're somebody yeah. at one of South Africa's top... Where do you have the time to make your own label? Look, I, I'm only off two days a week. And I'm, that is off like alone. So that's mm. when I really work even extra hard. Because mm. my day is always not less than 16 hours. So mm. I make sure that in those 16 hours, I make the, the most of it. So you said you were at La Colombe for seven years. Correct. Um, and you saw a thousand faces a week. Yes. Um, so what you were explaining to us earlier as, as guests at the tasting is your, um, the role of a Somali is very unique in that you have... Um, number one, the opportunity to do hand sales, so you can share Correct. things with people that they would yeah. either not usually experience or you'll give them a different experience of what they're used to. Um, what have been some of your highlights over the last seven years at La Colombe? Oof, lots, but just, just meeting people from all walks of life mm. really gives a bit of mental like wealth and health. Like, meeting people you'll be learning to to know their culture mm. and you'll be actually because look I, I always say a day spent without learning something new is a day wasted so meeting all those 1000 people obviously I will learn one or two things per day so that for me it's, it's just everything and so my recollection at the tasting was one of the 1000 people you met is how you founded your own label yeah how did right. that come to be uh, that's, that was, you mean the, the, the one of the Bordeaux blend? Yes, yeah. So, we, look, so this, gen, this gentleman came to Lacolum and mm. we became to be friends. Mm. Then when we come to, became to be friends and he came to, in, to introduce his wines to me and I enjoyed his wines and his style. So then he approached me, he was like, can we do a collaboration together uh, since you liked our wines? And I normally don't put my name on something which I don't enjoy. <laughs> okay. So then we started really from picking grapes in Stellenbosch, different properties. We made the wine or with the guidance of uh, Jan Smuts from Damascene. Mm. 
Jan Smith, sorry, from Damascene. So some of the barrels were to eliminate them, that's why there's no Malbec. But some, those which I like the most, that's which, what we roped in and we made okay. only 2,000 bottles. Um, so it's Harry Hartman? Isn't yeah, it? Harry Hartman. So mostly Harry and Hartman. And what is the actual winemaking process like in general? Uh, look, it's so what we do is I make sure that I'm very much involved from the harvest, mm. but then I can't be in the cellar every day, seeing okay. that I'm employed somewhere else. So <laughs> they will be obviously a cellar master, like at Rubik Cellars. We, we have Cherie Not Girl, she is the one who looks after our ones when I'm not there, and she doesn't make a decision without any decision without calling me. Okay. So you have to call me first, then I'll pass the decision. You said the Sauvignon Blanc is from Cabriol's Club. Correct. Okay, cool. I was just checking because I heard Cabriol's Club. I know it was a French. No, Cabriol's Club is a farm which um, uh, Peter Allen Finless is actually working on. Mm. And that's where he makes his uh, Cove Cinema, Mabaleo, Bonafide. Okay. Um, the clay shows and that. I really liked how you described the gin. And you were saying um, somebody is foraging your botanicals especially it's my mom Calista, yay yeah. Yeah. so what what how did that come to be did she give you this leaf or you're like mom remember there was a a special leaf that we used to use yeah i reminded it was i grew up in rural areas really mm. so so we made a plant one like just one plant at the on the homestead at the homestead so whenever we had like fluid nose blockage she could actually squash the leaves and just inhale it could actually um, unblock the, the nostrils so it's actually becoming i don't know if it's a marketing gimmick but <laughs> but, Zumba, but but that leafage of anika to be honest is really really making some essential oils and it's, it's really what is it called it's called lipia javanica so it, it's it's so you can actually steam with it it's mm. so those who really believe in that much they're saying it helps even with COVID. I'm not saying it's a, it's a cure Lingana. for COVID. I yeah. think it's Lingana. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So it's really, yeah, well, it's, it's good. It's medicinal. So the gin is medicinal as well. Mm -hmm. And yeah. what does your mom think of the gin? Well, she doesn't drink. Uh, she's a full time uh, Pentecostal church goer. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, she no just. No, she does a weekend. <laughs> yeah, so, so she, can't, she can't even take a sip or mm. sniff. But yeah, but she, she's, she's super proud of whatever I am doing. What did your son think of his wine? You have no idea. He, he breaks about it, about it as if he owns the, 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 the brand. Mm. And he likes it a lot. And uh, I always try to make sure that whenever he's down, uh, down in South Africa, he tries like different wines. Then I pick his Chenin Blanc in between. Okay. But yes, there was a couple of times when he picked it. As like from the whole selection, testing blind, you, you could actually pick his Chenin Blanc. And from what I read on your website, your brother's also working on the brand my no my brother is the one who not really actually is my cousin mm. who is working with the in um, africa there's no cousin <laughs> yeah for sure. okay, my so he's yeah he's so he's open with the website side like mm. uh, social media and all that stuff well i'm so thankful to you for making time to speak to me and i'm sure um in a few years time we'll be having a very different conversation um where do you hope to be in a few years well, probably more production. Okay. Yeah, we're going to increase the production. That's what I can say. You sound like a true businessman. <laughs> thank, you, thank, thank you, thank you, Joseph. Thank you very well. much. Thank you for having Be me. Be safe. You thank too. you. Welcome back to my kitchen. Thank you so much for staying with me. 
So I had the fantastic opportunity of tasting Mosey Wine and Spirits in the company of Jermaine Lahodi, the sommelier and wine consultant who names himself South Africa's first sommelier, as well as the coach to Team South Africa and Team Zimbabwe. So Mosi comes from the name Mosi Watonia, which means the smoke that thunders. Joseph says that he named his brand this as an umbilical cord to Zimbabwe. He said that he had only attended or first visited the Victoria Falls last year for the very first time. So the name had more of a spiritual meaning. So we began our tasting with the 2020 Morsi Wine and Spirits Sauvignon Blanc. So it was made in partnership with Peter Allen Finlayson at Gabriel's Kloof. This was a very different version of a Sauvignon Blanc, especially because Joseph says that he's not a Sauvignon Blanc drinker himself. <laughs> so the 2020 Mapapunya Sauvignon Blanc is made totally using wild ferments. I love the color. It was a beautiful golden color. It spent 10 months in stainless steel and three months on the lees, which is where I suppose it gets that gorgeous color as well as an extraordinary texture from. So the nose is rich with green flavors and guava, a little bit of white peach, and then followed through by a beautiful white palette filled with white peaches, tropical fruit. And although it has a high acid, it's beautifully balanced. So he says that, Joseph says that although 11 years ago he was not a wine drinker at all, he was barely a Sauvignon Blanc drinker. So he had to make sure that he found the perfect site to make this wine that we know Sauvignon Blanc is increasingly popular in South Africa. It is South Africa's most exported grape and one of the most planted varietals in the country. So this perfect site in Gabriel's Kloof has a cool climate, which is influenced by beautiful cool sea breeze that regulates the temperature. So Joseph says that he thought about going to the perfect sites to buy grapes to make the wine. And he didn't really like the style of warm climate Sauvignon Blanc, so he preferred a cool climate. It is a screw cap, <laughs> and so it's a very approachable wine. At the same time, it is probably one of the most sophisticated Sauvignon Blancs, I think, on the market. Thereafter, we tasted the Tinache Chenin Blanc 2020. This wine is named after the winemaker's son. So he says that he finds Chenin Blanc to be quite versatile. It has a beautiful golden color. Um, and he made it in partnership or through the support of Chris and Andrea Malinier in Swatland, where he bought the grapes for this wine. So he says that one parcel of this wine is 39 years old and another parcel is 38 years old. So the vines are relatively old. And again, it's a natural ferment wine made with 10 months in the barrel. So he says that he chose to make natural ferment because he didn't want to put too much makeup on the wine. He wanted 
it to show itself off at 13 percent alcohol it is um, quite a refreshing white wine um, and he also describes it as a, as a food wine and I trust his judgment as a sommelier so he says that the acidity in the wine is the backbone behind its longevity it had a beautiful white peach and citrus nose um, and the sommelier suggests that you pair it with mussels um, or seafood but with less garlic and capers as it will obfuscate the flavor and thereafter we tasted the 2019 Mossy Chenin Blanc another beautiful golden color um, and he's promising us that a sparkling wine will arrive on the 20th of September so we keep our fingers crossed and our noses ready but this sparkling wine will be from 100% Chardonnay. So again, the Chenin Blanc also comes from the Swatland, um, from a parcel of land that uh, is worked by Chris and Andrea Molyneux. I love the 2019 because it had that immediate stone fruit nose, uh, as well as a little bit of citrus, and it was beautiful and rich and buttery. It had a very supple mouthfeel. So according to Joseph, in South Africa, Johannesburg is consuming more than any other city. So his export markets, he speaks about Johannesburg almost like a country. So his export markets are number one, Zimbabwe, number two, Kenya, and then number three, uh, the local market, um, South Africa, with the bulk going to Johannesburg, number four, the Netherlands, fifth, Germany, um, sixth, Switzerland, and seventh, Estonia. He says that Johannesburg is 5% of his total global sales, which is extraordinary because it really is like a small country. They also say that they're selling by word of mouth. So I guess speaking about it on a podcast is an interesting place to discuss the wine. He says that in the restaurant, um, because what I asked was, um, how did the pandemic affect hand sales? Um, Miguel Chan, the famed sommelier who's their head sommelier for the Tohosan group, had said that um, it's incredible how much hand sales make a difference. Where on the one hand, people are so used to reading a wine list, but having the presence of a sommelier changes their perception of a wine. And so I was wondering, in a year when fewer people were going to restaurants, how did those hand sales change? And Joseph teases that he um, rarely recommends his own wine first. He tries to find the correct wine for the correct dish before um, suggesting his wine. But his wine is listed at La Colombe where he works. So it's important, he says, for us to also understand how expensive it is to begin a wine brand or to even keep one going as a going concern. He says that in 2014, a ton of grapes used to cost 12,000 rand. And now that same ton of grapes costs 19,000 rand. And there are other higher associated production costs as well. You would be paying something like 1 rand 50 to 2 rand a cork. You can even pay up to 10 rand for real cork. 7 rand for the empty bottle. 17 rand for the label. 1 rand 50 for the box. And then there are the rising cost of diesel for transportation. And between Jermaine and Joseph, they say that you must be very careful when trying to look at price as a marker of the quality of a wine because 
Joseph's wines are made in such small batches that the costs to scale are markedly different to larger brands. So it was important to have, for us to have this business conversation in Johannesburg because I suppose a lot of people in this market are curious about those sort of things. So one of the things that I found very interesting at the discussion that we had was um, Walter, who was the founder of Lawine Chambur, and he's also a engineer. So sadly, Lawine Chambur closed as a result of the pandemic, and we're hoping it will reopen. But he had said that when women buy shoes, they don't look at practicality. They buy the shoes that they like. So even if the shoe is 4,000 rand, you will tend to buy the shoe because you truly like it. And he says that for him, it's the same with a wine drinker. Price is one of the last factors that you'll consider. I found this all very interesting, um, considering the market that we're in, where a lot of people are squeezed for price. Considering that, though, the Chenin Blanc was scored 17.5 points by Jancis Robinson, and that 2019 Chenin was made from vines that are 38 and 30 years old. We then moved on to the 2020 Syrah, of which only 6,500 bottles were made. I really like the Syrah. It actually reminded me a lot of the Hartenberg Syrahs that we know, Shirazes that we know I do love. Um, so it had that immediate white pepper on the spice, and this one is actually a Swatland Syrah, unlike the, Hartland, the Hartenberg Syrah, which is a Stellenbosch Shiraz. And for Joseph, it hearkened the Malinue Iron Syrah for him. So these are 19-year-old trellised vines, unlike the bushvine Shenan. And they are from decomposed, decomposed granite soils. 20% were fermented in new French oak and the remainder in second and third fill barrels. It spent 10 months in barrel. So... I love that extraordinary white pepper nose. Um, for me, this Sarah gave so much. Um, it had an extraordinary full body, a beautiful ruby color. It had soft, silky tannins. Um, it was made in the Rhone style. And because of its high acid, it's going to age extraordinarily well. Thereafter, we tasted the 2018 Flavian Syrah. And so Flavian is the name of Joseph's dad. He named his wines after family members, which is quite cute. The 2018 spent 15 months in barrel, and there were only 4,500 bottles made. It had also had an extraordinary ruby color, that beautiful white pepper nose, gorgeous high acid. And because of the time that it's spent, it is a beautiful soft wine. Finally, the famous red wine blend. So we tasted the Mozi Hartman 2019 blend, comprised of 64% Cabernet Sauvignon, 21% Petit Verdot, 8% Merlot, 7% Cabernet Franc. And it's made in the Bordeaux style from Stellenbosch grapes. So it was made with the advice of Jean Smith, who is making extraordinary red wine blends and red wine and white wines and sells at Damascene. So in partnership with Harry Hartman, this wine was made 
in the most rich and full-bodied style. It had a gorgeous nose. I picked up eucalyptus, spice, red fruit, and it had a beautiful, soft, tannic feel. So Joseph says that his vision was to create a premium Bordeaux-style wine, which I think that he absolutely did. Um, later in this podcast, I'm going to speak about more Bordeaux-style wines made from South Africa, but I think that it's high time we consider um, new names for these wines because there are so many Bordeaux-style wines made in South Africa. Finally, we tasted the Mozi B gin. The botanicals for this gin include, include ingredients enforaged by his mother. So they include Lipia javanica, silver leaf tree bark, sedchen, rooibos, ginger, and of course Italian juniper berries. The labels for the gin are also quite similar to the labels for some of the wine. So the labels include a little bit of virtual reality. Um, so you can literally see the Victoria Falls moving thanks to label in motion. Thank you so much to you for listening. Um, it was a great pleasure to share mozi wine and spirits with you. So the wine that actually inspired this particular podcast is sitting right in front of me right now. It is the Mielast Red 2019. So this famed Mielast Red is a wine that um, I first tasted the 2016, in fact, with a friend, which is also part of why I called the podcast episode Red Wine Blends with Friends. He sent me a tweet when he saw that I tweeted the 2019 and said, do you remember this? And it reminded me of so many of these cool autumn nights that we're having with delicious food and wine. So the rare Mialast Red has made its famed return at 14% alcohol. Um, this Stellenbosch Red wine is actually one that you will thoroughly enjoy. So it's a blend comprised of 43% Cabernet Sauvignon, 31% Merlot, 21% Cabernet Franc, 5% Petit Verdot. And so the higher percentage of Merlot in this blend, as opposed to previous blends, came as a result of the Mielas Jove duo of 8th generation owner Hannes Mayberg and Cellemaster Wim Trutter deciding not to bottle the Merlot from the 2019 vintage so Stellamaster Wim Trutter recently joined Mia Last in 2020 and he, many of us will remember Wim Trutter actually um, from his previous work, uh, including with Flederkup. And so I was thoroughly excited to see his addition to this particular team. So he says that despite the climatic challenges of the 2019 season, Mielast was able to vinify enough Cabernet to meet the rigorous selection criteria for a single variety of bottling. And this is in keeping with the practice followed as far back as the 70s and the 80s, when this family's farm's previous denizen, Nico Mayberg, chose not to release a 1985, 1979 or 1977. The Mielast Cabernet Sauvignon was officially relaunched from the 2009 vintage after small quantities were made in 2004 and 5 after a small hiatus in 1993 when it, reserved, when it was reserved entirely as the foundation for the Rubicon 
until the new plantings came on stream and performed sufficiently well enough to enable a single varietal release once again. So mere lust, as we know, many of us know it for the Chardonnay as well as the Pinot Noir, as well as the Rubicon, they have this Mielast Red, which is, I didn't know, such a cult wine. So Wim Trutter says that the wine still has enough complexity and structure to provide pleasure after eight years in the bottle, even though there were older Mielast Red vintages. Those include the 85, the 90, the 2002, and the 2011, which still have surprised many with their longevity. But according to them, one of the most positive aspects of this wine is the style as well as the greater Merlot content that make it a softer and more approachable wine. And Vim says that the strict criteria with relation to quality and alternative application of these wines in the more approachable red label is a testament to the maturity of the portfolio and the integrity of the estate. So when I was tasting this wine, um, and thinking of my red blends with friends, I also obviously thought about the Canon Cop. So I obviously had the opportunity to taste the black label last year. But the most iconic Canon Cop red, red blend is, of course, the Paul Sour. So in my hand, I have a bottle of the 2017 Canon Cop Paul Sour. Uh, this one is comprised of 76% Cabernet Sauvignon, 17% Cabernet Franc, and 7% Merlot. Um, so it is made from soil, well, it was planted in granite, Hatton and Cloverly soils. It is fascinating to read this label <laughs> of this um, Stellenbosch wine because they have a graph that has optimum drinking time. So sometime between 2021 until infinity, this wine, <laughs> the graph goes until 2031, but this wine should keep going. And interestingly enough, it's also a 14% alcohol wine. When I tasted it with my friend <laughs> at the tasting in Pretoria, actually last year, we didn't go to the Johannesburg tasting. We both fell in love with it. So tasting these two Bordeaux-style wines also took me back to the Epicurean <laughs> 2011 and 2012. I did some studying. And we know that Epicurean tends to keep their wines um, for a little bit longer. Um, we tasted them in Magnum and we also tasted them in Bottle. And I was incredibly pleased when we visited a family friend and she had a bottle of the Epicurean that she had purchased at lunch. Um, she says that she went there with her uh, wine club and it was a bottle of the 2012 Epicurean and it made me think of that famous saying, Epicureans are passionate in their pursuit of pleasure and beauty in all its forms and nowhere else in, is this devotion more pronounced than their love of food and wine. So the founders of Epicurean, Bazima Shiloa, Mutlia Mukhase, Ron Tegold and Marson Khwashing wrote that over many years they were blessed with the opportunity to appreciate the very best food and wine that South Africa and the world have to offer. They say that during this time, they've accumulated both the knowledge and the experience to recognize the difference between a good wine and a great wine. And finally, we have to conclude that a great wine is conspicuous by its perfect balance, which is aromatically harmonious, pure, powerful, and above all, complex. Given these criteria, we then set ourselves the challenge of creating a wine that lives up to this benchmark. Epicurean is a product of our love and passion for food and wine and the finer things in life. 
But above all, it is about friendship. And they quote Epicurus, who says, We should look for someone to eat and drink with before looking for something to eat and drink. For dining alone is leading the life of a lion or a wolf. They obviously also released the 2018 Chardonnay, which um, I will share more with more about at a later stage. But I did enjoy the Chardonnay. I did think that when we were speaking about red wine blends with friends, I would be amiss or remiss to not share the extraordinary Epicurean blends. Um, and the hard work that goes into not only making the wine, but for cellaring it for that amount of time. So um, it's exactly 10 years old, actually, the 2011 that I'm sitting with now. And it's just extraordinary to have the opportunity to even look at these wines, let alone taste them. So, for example, the 2012 is 100% wooded with 80% new wood, and it is spent 22 months in French oak barrels. It is comprised of 50% Cabernet, 30% Merlot, 20% Petit Verdot, and um, has an alcohol percentage of 13.5%, so it's a beautifully balanced blend. But then I tasted a wine called the Ring of Rocks 2018, from the Nile family at Boerplas. And this wine is no <laughs> Bordeaux-style wines or Bordeaux-style grapes. In fact, one of the reasons I was so drawn to this wine is because it is only comprised of... Um, let's see here. It is only comprised of Tariga Francesca, Tinta Baraka, Tariga National. And it's also at a 14.3%. And this is a wine that comes from the Karoo region. So this is a hot area, which is why I think these Portuguese grapes really thrive. But all of these delicious red wines <laughs> made me think about needing delicious food. So my first thought, because I'm feeling so bold enough to share with you, was South Africa is incredibly blessed with fantastic red wine and red wine blends. John Smith, as we know, um, made fantastic red wine for many, many years uh, at Buchenholz Kluf before he moved on to Damascene. And all of the Damascene wines are outstanding and extraordinary on their own. But it made me think that it's maybe, you know, because we know Cape Blend means that there's pinotage. But it may be time for South Africa to own how good we are at making red wine blends. Anyway, so all of these red wine blends made me very hungry. And fortunately, I came across a very sweet story which ties in perfectly to the ending of this portion of our Bring the Wine. So apparently, Joseph says that when he was celebrating his birthday, um, Chef Maynard many years ago gave him a glass of champagne and it was the taste of this brute that moved him to actually want to study wine and join the Cape Wine Academy because he didn't quite like it. <laughs> he says uh, at that point it was a quiet taste and he was curious to know more. And so I received the new Cathedral Cellar wines which are not red wine blends, they are single variety wines um, from 
the cathedral cellar at KWV. And they were accompanied by olives, um, as well as fantastic recipes from Chef Maynard. And I just thought, what a perfect circle. Chef Maynard Chabert. So I'm looking at the 2018 Cathedral Cellar Shiraz as well as the 2019 Cathedral Cellar Chardonnay. Uh, there is a fantastic little poem that I'll read for you on the side of the Shiraz. Um, it says, For every beaker up, my men, pour forth the cheering wine. There's life and strength in every drop, thanksgiving to the vine by A.D. Green. And so it's taken from the Baron's last banquet where the poet pays homage to a respected warrior reflecting on a full and daring life calling for a feast and brimfilled goblets of wine brimfilled goblets of wine indeed because chef maynard as well as the cathedral cellar team spoke about finding significance in the seemingly insignificant which i feel like you know these little droplets of wisdom and these little stories that we share seem insignificant, but it's extraordinary how that first glass of sparkling wine moved Joseph to achieve something truly extraordinary. So, according to Cathedral Cellar Chief Winemaker Justin Corrance, vines are great teachers. They teach us an appreciation for adversity because without this adversity, vines won't focus their energy on grapes. And we won't have the juicy berries needed to make the wines that spread all this joy. And so between Justin Corrance and Chef Maynard, significance was found in insignificance. They spoke about how olives and wine have a story of companionship since time immemorial. And it's a story of adversity as well as companionship between both vineyards and olives, both which deliver crops named in religious and holy books that feed the soul. For thousands of years, olive trees have been planted in the peripheries of vineyards to shelter their frames against strong winds that can disrupt pollination. And here on the fringes where they frame vineyards, these olive trees develop their own lesson in resilience. It is a tree that can withstand immense hardship from fierce winds, drought, and even fire. And not only do these winds, these trees withstand that adversity, they weave it into their individual display. Each olive tree will individually adapt its surroundings, resulting in detailed trunks with unique bumps and gnarls, stories of challenging years that ultimately give them their unique beauty. It's incredibly significant because Chef Maynard had to temporarily close his at-home restaurant and kitchen which is absolutely beautiful. If you're ever in Paul, please make a reservation. Um, due to the lockdown, the restaurant was closed. And the story of the olive tree resonated deeply with him. He says he was inspired to develop rich recipes to match the cathedral, cathedral cellar Shiraz and cathedral cellar Chardonnay. He says he distinctly remembers the first time good quality olive oil made its way down his throat and into his existence. He was forever a changed man, he says. And the oil came from a single varietal olive orchard orchid which stood neglected on the slopes of the Castelberg, which received very little water or attention but yielded the purest of the pure green and gold oil every year so he's crafted the most extraordinary recipes um, to pair with this wine um, these two traditional companions olives and wine um, it just makes sense right <laughs> to have olives and wine um, so while we are 
frightened by the pandemic and its effects, we can turn, as I did, to our kitchens. <laughs> so the first thing that I opened up was the most extraordinary olive tapenade, uh, which is, he says, um, is only comprised of um, 160 grams of Willow Creek black olives that are pitted, 30 milliliters of capers, four anchovy fillets, 10 milliliters of red wine vinegar, and 10 milliliters of dried Italian herbs. I have been sneaking this um, tapenade onto, tapenade, tapenade, I've been sneaking it onto slices of bread. Um, it's so delicious. Um, he also has a recipe for almond, olive oil, and fig bread um, that I, I think everybody should make. I decided that I'm going to wait until I have the opportunity to spend some time with my family and then I'm going to make some of these recipes. But as I said, I've been sneaking the olives. He has vanilla marinated olives. Oh, that are delicious. The olive tapenade, which basically consists of all the ingredients put in the processor. There's also carpaccio, there's also almond, olive oil and fig bread. There's also white anchovy and pistachio butter. Oh, there's also white anchovy. There's also, yeah, there's everything. There's everything. And then, of course, with the extraordinary wine. Um, and again, it reminds me of the very reason that I started this podcast, which was to bring people into my kitchen. So thank you so much for staying with me throughout this extended version of I'll Bring the Wine. When we come back... We're going to make it pop. Welcome back to my kitchen. In this week's episode of Make It Pop, I want to share a fantastic book that I had the opportunity to read, as well as a beautiful red blend. So I had the opportunity to taste the 2016 Guardian Peak SMG, comprised of Syrah, Mavad, and Grenache. And apparently since 2001, this classic blend of red varieties has expressed how formidable yet uncomplicated this style of wine can be. So it's another one of those red blends that you do want to keep going back to. So the Syrah comes from the Stellenbosch region, the Breda Kloof brings us the Movedra, and the Picanias Kloof region brings us Grenache. And these different soil types and climatic conditions have allowed for warmer fruit flavors as well as adding complexity to the wine. It was beautifully spicy, we had fantastic white pepper spice and fantastic red fruit, lots of aromas. And at 14.5% alcohol, it is a very, very formidable red wine blend. My friend made a fantastic steak and it was one of the most precious moments I've had in a very long time. And I was so glad that we waited five years. It was the correct opportunity and the perfect moment to taste this wine. And indeed, I'd been reading the most absorbing book while I drank that wine. It was a novel called Homegoing by Yag Yassi. So I know we spoke in a previous episode about um, Africa and the diaspora and how complicated their stories are. So Yag Yassi has the most fantastic um, ability to use language. Yagyasi was born in Mampong in Ghana and raised in Huntsville, Alabama in the U.S. Homegoing is her first novel. It was selected for the National Book Foundation's 5 out of 35 shortlist for the Center for Fiction's first novel prize and won the National Book Critics Circle John Le Leonard Prize for Best 
first book. So there are too many characters for me to go into. They are so textured and she has the most amazing ability to tie a story together, which also took extraordinary patience. So I will say that um, it is not a book that you can read while distracted, although it does absorb you. Um, you do have to pay attention because, for example, there are parts of the book that take place in Ghana and they explain parts of slavery that are chilling, bone chilling. And then it moves, of course, um, to the castle, which is devastating. And how there are so many different levels to pain and to the separation of, of families. And how this wasn't actually all that long ago. Because generationally, she moves you um, to current United States. And how maybe one generation ago... Um, there was a generation who lived in Harlem um, and before that uh, Baltimore and before that there were obviously slaves and before that obviously in Ghana and in Africa. And so you do come to a moment where you um, feel deep empathy with the diasporic conversations and people who speak about their roots to Africa and how they don't know those roots because their families were separated. And I think that it's her unique storytelling ability and her um, prowess that give this book life. Uh, it is a book that I recommend that everybody reads. In fact, one of the things that jumps out at you is um, a comment by Zadie Smith on the cover that says, an intelligent, beautiful and healing read. But she also says, Homegoing is a novel I wish I could have read when I was a young woman. And I agree in many ways because it's, it's mind-shifting. And so I highly recommend both the SMT and this book, Homegoing by Yagi Asi. It's extraordinary. Um, now I have the great joy of my one of my favorite segments of the podcast, which is The Dish, where we speak about something or someone delectable who's made our world a truly sweeter place. So a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to receive the great hot wines. So I'm going to start with the red blend uh, and then I'll speak more about the story and, and why it moves me so much. So it's another red blend. <laughs> great episode for red blends and friends. Um, so the great hot 2019 red blend is comprised of 51% Syrah, 34% Tinta Baraka and 15% Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, this is a fantastic Swatland wine which um, as I was saying earlier, with the Boer Plus, makes use of Tinta Baraka, which is perfect wine for a warm climate condition. And so many of our regions in South Africa are. There's also a beautiful, great hard Chenin Blanc. Um, I'm busy staring at the label. Sorry, that's why I'm umming. It is beautiful. So both labels have the most beautiful embossed shiny you know how i love shiny things <laughs> texture and they were designed by um yaku Sibahagen. um so they make use of the cape wagtail um as part of the design so the wagtail is a bird known in south african folklore for its acts of selflessness courage and it's seen on its chest and plumage so we all know how difficult the pandemic was for the south african wine industry um in many ways, I feel like it was also very difficult for the workers in the industry who um, f 
for months, not only suffered, I suppose, uncertainty, but also were at great risk in terms of their own health. And so you have both the risk of life and livelihood. So the Great Heart Project is one that I feel um, compelled to share with you because it is um, incredibly moving. So it is an empowerment project um, aimed at improving the livelihoods of the staff and their families to the profit from sales. So together with their employees, the Malaliu and Liu family wines, who are obviously known for their multi-award winning Liu Passant and Malaliu wine, have started an empowerment project called Great Heart Wines, which um, starts with these two wines and there will hopefully be more in future. So the wines available from Waitrose in the UK um, and they're also available from Malinue in South Africa. It's incredible that the winemaker, um, Gaynor, who is in charge of this project, uh, was a Cape Winemakers Guild protégé um, and she joined Chris and Andrea on the farm. Um, Andrea says that she wanted to thank her employees who've shown great commitment um, and they've made those who worked for the winery for two years or more as shareholders of the Great Heart Wines that will directly benefit from the sale of these wines. And so Chris also says that the pursuit of the greater good, especially in business, is not a given. It's one that rings louder and truer for us with each passing moment. Great Heart is their way of expressing or and addressing an array of important issues in the wine industry. And um, so they are obviously made and produced in the Liu family cellars with the same attention to detail as the other wines, um, but with a difference. So Gaynor Fredericks, assistant winemaker at Malinu and Liu family wines, is the winemaker for Great Heart Wines. So I'm incredibly impressed by this project because they have um, done the unprecedented. A young woman of colour uh, is at the home of the winemaking. She says this is a huge opportunity to better lives and livelihood, especially at this time. And she's incredibly proud to have a project that she can call her own. So it is an optimistic project. It is a project that hopes to sow seeds of true transformation and meaningful transformation. Um, and it is also a project that I think um, is not only aspirational, but is truly inspirational. Um, so it gives me great joy to name it the dish for this week's episode. The red wine blend um, is another 14% alcohol <laughs> wine. Um, and all those wines come from four dry farmed bush vines, parcels in the, in the Swatland that are aged between 16 and 40 years. Um, the grapes were harvested in between January and February 2019. So, you know, it's had some time, the red wine blend, it's had some time to mature. Um, in fact, they were racked in spring to blend the wine and then returned to large fodre for six months before bottling. Um, it is a beautiful wine. Um, I obviously encountered, because of the Syrah, some of that great white pepper spice, um, because of the Cabernet, a little bit of a touch of eucalyptus, a touch of dark fruit. Um, it has beautiful mouth, 
feel it's rich and fragrant and delicious and beautiful and something that I think that you should absolutely invest in. And then, of course, the Shenan, which Malinu uh, Liu family wines is so renowned for. And remember, again, full circle moments, seemingly insignificant, but incredibly significant. Um, they were also part of um, Joseph's Shenan at Mozi family wines. Um, so this is actually, the Great Heart is 100% Shenan, um, also at 13% alcohol. Um, and they're also from dry land, bush vine, um, with vines that are up to 40 years old. So the Great Heart has Great Heart. <laughs> and I'm incredibly touched to share part of this story with you. And I hope to be able to visit the Swatland soon to share more with you. In addition, um, so I have two dishes to share with you because it's been quite some time. Um, I wanted to share um, a little part of the Street Smart story. So as we know, Street Smart South Africa is an organization that's dedicated to helping vulnerable children rebuild their lives. And they've welcomed Zaid Adams, a seasoned professional with over 30 years of experience in the hospitality industry as its new chairman. So he has served as Street Smart Director since January 2019 after supporting the organization for many years um, in various hospitality roles. And he takes over from Melanie Burke, who is a phenomenal woman. Um, and Streets, Melanie was a founding member who served as the chairman for the past six years. Melanie will continue to play a vital role as vice chairman moving forward. Um, so Street Smart is a fantastic organization where they invite businesses to make a real long-term difference in their local communities for only five rand at a time by becoming fundraising partners. Obviously, um, due to the pandemic, Street Smart's fundraising efforts were affected because people weren't able to, to gather and go out. Um, but Street Smart was actually founded in 2005 by a concerned group of concerned Cape Tonians. Um, and similar street smart organizations also run independently in the United Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and the Netherlands. So basically, Street Smart um, uses these funds to um, empower and support at risk youth. Um, it's registered as a nonprofit. Um, and the goal is to be part of the process of social normalization and to encourage the public not to give money to the hands of a child because this keeps them in the streets. However, they want you to be able to support organizations, and I've met some of the organizations that are um, supported by Street Smart. Um, and so today's episode is all about friends <laughs> and red blends. And I suppose when I planned the episode, because it's been so long since you and I have conversed, I wanted to speak about red wine blends. Um, and friends, <laughs> but more than anything, um, it hit me as I was um, preparing the episode that so much of what we go through might seem very insignificant, but later it might mean so much, not only to us, but to the people whose lives we touch. And so even though this might be a challenging time, may or not be, may or may not be a challenging time for you, I want to encourage you to keep hope alive and to keep looking for the significant 
and the seemingly insignificant. Thank you so much for joining me. Have a beautiful week. I love you so much, Robalante.